So grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38. So, did Alex not make the cut on Emmanuel? I noticed he was like holding the guitar strings and just... Huh? Oh, the guitar broke for that song. No, that's, uh, that, that's, that's good. That's the Amy Grant version, right? Yeah. Man. So, hey, on the, all, the, the, the loose change, huh? Oh. Yeah, sorry. Thanks, bro. I wonder why Eric was giving me dirty looks. <laughs> um, on the loose change offering, if you, if you in the, that offering lost your ring, if you lost your ring, I've got it. Come get me, okay? I, 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 can, I can fix you up. If you wanted us to find a buyer for that and that go to taking care of the fatherless, then don't come find me. We'll, we'll just take care of it. But. Uh, if you lost your ring, I have it. Okay. We're in, Judah, we're in uh, Genesis chapter 38. We're looking at Judah. There's a little, we're, we're actually in the section on Joseph, but uh, there's this little aside here on Judah. This is an important chapter because this is where we see the, the line of the Messiah. Uh, we see a turn right? We see the lens, right? We see the focus shift, and we, we, we see the, the, the messianic line just dial in that much more. And so we're going to look at the family of Judah. Father, we ask this morning that you'd help us to see and help us to, to, to understand and to know and to apply uh, the truth that we glean from your word this morning. We want to apply it to our lives. Lord, here is a man that your word says his story is given to be an example for us. Uh, it's a warning, it's an admonition, and, and we need to take it seriously. And so Father, uh, we ask that, that you'd help us to receive it, uh, to believe on it, uh, to tremble in light of its truth, and, and then Lord, be careful to walk according to your word and your principles uh, that we find in it. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Genesis 38, obviously these are mature themes, and so be mom, dad, be thinking about the next service. Um, you know, we're gonna talk about what the Bible says, and so it's gonna be you know, some mature content. So here we, we see the, the history of Judah's family. Verse one says, and it came to pass at that time that Judah, and notice how the Bible puts it, went down from his brethren and turned in to a certain Adolamite whose name was Hera. Uh, so here's the first thing that we need to see is that Judah went down. That's how the Bible describes his movement. And the Bible is a picture book, right? The words that it uses, the stories that it tell are to illustrate spiritual truth for us. And so, you know, geographically, Adullam was northwest of Hebron at lower elevation. And so we've got a map on the screen here for you. And what you're gonna see here now is, is, is the path that Judah would have taken. And, and if you can see all the super wrinkly part where this line starts, Hebron is there in the lower middle part of your map. That's up in the mountains, right? This is up in the, 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 just the, the, this area of the Judean wilderness. And so to go down, to, you know, he's going north, 
but he's going down to a lower elevation to a dullum. Okay, so that's true geographically, but what we're gonna see today, it's also true spiritually. Uh, Judah is backsliding yet the more. So don't miss the Bible's clues because he's in the wrong place with the wrong people. Wrong association produces wrong thinking and eventually that that, that'll lead you into wrong living, right? Uh, wrong lifestyles, wrong relationships. He's away from accountability. Now, it's, you know, he knows what's right. It's very clear. Um, dad had to get a bride from home. Granddad had to get a bride from the old home place. And, and Judah's like, I'll, I'll see what I find in a dullum. So he's, he's, he's going away from accountability. He's get, and that's what, you know, that's what God's people do when they want to sin. They get away from accountability. They get away from their brothers, their sisters in Christ. Uh, nobody can see. Their thought is nobody will know. And, and what ends up happening is, is, you know, it's like your grandparents said, birds of a feather flock together. So be careful who you flock with because that's who you're gonna fly like. And um, you know, so he starts living like an Adolamite. Verse two, Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in unto her. So backsliding, right, away from accountability, away from the place of blessing, away from the promises of God leads to carnal living. That's what he does. He's living in a carnal way. So point number two, verse two, this marriage to a Canaanite almost ruins Judah's family. Judah knew it was wrong. Judah knew that this woman was not on the menu for him, but you know, both dad and granddad got wives from the home place. J Judah doesn't care. Uh, he's, he likes what he sees, he sees what he likes, and so he just takes it. And uh, the Bible says in verse three that she conceived and bare a son, and he, Judah, called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet, uh, she yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah, and he was at Kazib when she bare him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. So point number three, verse seven. This is a typical conclusion. Wicked parents produce what? Wicked children. And the, the problem here is, is that Ur is so wicked that God takes him out. So again, we mentioned this last time, I, I, I can't stress this enough. Uh, young people, marry up, that's what you wanna do. You wanna marry someone who is on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're looking for somebody to spend the rest of your life with, are they wholehearted for the Lord? Do they love the Lord? Do they love the things of God? Do they love the people of God? Do they love the word of God? Uh, that's who you want to marry because that's who will be raising your kids and you say, well, I'll take the major responsibility. I'll make sure my kids are raised right. Uh, you've got another parent in their life and they're gonna have opinions and ideas and ideals that are contrary to God's word if you're not careful. You are signing your kids up for a life of blessing or a life of destruction. The Bible says we're to train up children the way that they should go. If half the parenting is clueless uh, and what's sown into the children is confusion, be wise. Be wise, marry up, okay? I did that, that worked out for me, praise the Lord. So here it is, verse eight. This is the passage that, that, that everybody gets confused on. 
And so we're just gonna clearly say what is happening here. Judah said unto Onan, go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his and it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife, this is a description of copulation, intercourse, when he went in unto his brother's wife that he spilled it, the seed, his seed that was supposed to be received by his brother's wife and then grown and raised in his brother's name. He spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. Ur was wicked, so is Onan. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he, the Lord, slew him, Onan, also. Okay, so here in verses eight through 10, this is the custom of the Leverite law of marriage, okay? The living son, Onan, was to marry Tamar, the widow of his brother Ur. So older brother Ur is wicked, he's so wicked, it's so bad, that it can't stand in Israel, it can't stand in the family, the nation, this budding nation of Israel. It's too much corruption on the front end. God says, I gotta remove it, I'm gonna take Ur home. Uh, Onan takes his place, but now Ur has a place, right? Tamar is in the family, she has to have a child, Onan's like, eh, I don't think so. Uh, he takes her as a wife, but he doesn't give her children. Now this is the case where, and this is the only place in the word of God where multiple wives are commanded by God. And this was a way to protect the land rights of Israeli families. You know, there was confusion over inheritance if a man died prematurely before he had an heir. Uh, here is a brother, he died, he doesn't have any children. Who gets his land? Well. The reason the deceased man's brother was required to be a sperm donor to the widow was so that she could have that baby in his brother's name, right? To raise a child in the dead man's name so that the inheritance could be passed on to him, that that family might continue. Uh, you need to know there are about 34 customs in Genesis that are later enshrined in the commandments of Moses. This is one of them. Here it is, Deuteronomy chapter 25. Here is the Leverite law of you know, marrying your brother's widow so that she can have children. Uh, you know that brothers prayed for each other back then fervently that they would find good women because God, if he dies, I'm stuck with her. Um, God let him marry well. And so you, you were your brother's wingman, no doubt. You made sure he, he found the one. Okay, so here it is. If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her, brother's, uh, her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, some guys are like, I know it's my duty, but no. <laughs> he just can't do it. Okay, so he refuses to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, my husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Um, yeah, that's what happened. Here comes a widow and is like, my brother-in-law won't have sex with me. He won't, he won't take me as a wife, have intercourse with me and, and give me a baby. So she tattles on him to the elders in Israel. Verse eight, then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to and say, I like not to take her, 
Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, in the presence of the elders, and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face, and shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. So there it is. Shame in Israel. Everybody knows you're the guy that got his foot taken off and spit in his face and, and you thought it was worth it. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, you, you can do the math on all of that. I mean, just sometimes no. And it's worth, the, I guess it's worth the shame. But otherwise, you know, it's like, what kind of man are you? Did you love your brother or not? Don't you care that the house of Israel is in order? I mean, what's wrong with you? You couldn't just, you couldn't just take her on and, and, and help a brother out. <laughs> so there it is, man. Um, this is the role of the kinsman redeemer. That's what it ultimately becomes known as in scripture, the kinsman redeemer. There's a beautiful example of this, a wonderful story depicting this in the book of Ruth. Four chapters, that's your homework this week. You wanna read the story of Ruth. Um, here we have the example of Judah. And um, you know, he raises up some wicked boys and Onan refuses to be a kinsman redeemer. Uh, Judah, ultimately, before this chapter's over, we're gonna find out that Judah ultimately refuses her a kinsman redeemer uh, and ends up paying. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a wild story. You contrast that with the story of Ruth, this beautiful picture of a woman who is widowed and her near kinsman refuses to raise up seed to, in the name of his family for Ruth, and, and uh, man, Boaz comes through as this beautiful, uh, wonderful type, this picture of Christ himself. Ultimately, the great kinsman redeemer is found in the person of Jesus Christ, and we see him revealed as such in Revelation chapter five. Look at Re Revelation five, verse nine. They sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. This is what they're singing to Jesus. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. So it's ultimately to be a picture, a type of Christ. So here's this first opportunity for a young man to be mature in his faith, to be this picture, this type of Christ, and he refuses to do so. Um, he, he absolutely stands in the place of God, vaunts his own will, and, and uh, God has to deal with him. See, Onan was to raise up offspring for his brother. That's your next point. But here's the sin. Everybody's like, what was the sin? What was the sin? Here's the sin. Onan used that law, that, that role of the kinsman redeemer, for sexual gratification, but he refused his duty. In other words, he took advantage of the situation. Uh, Tamar, you know, she's kind of a hottie, but I don't want to give her kids. So he's using her for sex, but he's refusing the responsibility that goes with her as his wife that he takes on behalf of his brother. He just refuses to stand up. He wants the ecstasy, right? He doesn't want the responsibility. So girls, uh, there, there's a lesson in that. Choose well. Right, boys be better. Don't, don't look at the woman that God places in your life as just somebody to have sex with. This is supposed to be the mother of children who will grow and glorify the Lord. You get to be a part of something that's incredible that will matter for eternity. 
Uh, you need to reverence the woman that God places in your life. And so here it is, the practice of Onan's greed causes him to participate with Satan in trying to prevent the inheritance from going to the proper seed. In other words, he wanted the firstborn's portion for himself. That's what he wanted. He didn't want some kid, right? That some kid that technically, legally, is not going to be his. He doesn't want that kid getting the seed. He doesn't want that divert. He wants to keep it in his household. He wants to keep it in his name, in his family. He wants the firstborn's portion for himself. Man, this family, I mean, he's a chip off the old granddad, isn't he? Isn't that what Jacob's problem was? He wanted the right, the portion of the firstborn for himself. Remember the story? Give me some soup. I want them beans. Well, sell me, I'll, I'll use them to buy your birthright. You know, sell me your birthright, you can have the bowl. And then he goes in and steals the Abrahamic blessing. He wants it for himself. Well, Onan is like Jacob in this, in this. And so he doesn't learn, he knows that story, does not learn that lesson, and so God takes his life, just like he took hers. So here's the principle. Man, I mean, don't miss the picture. Do not mess with the seed. Do you see it? Don't mess with the seed. Okay, so, you know, one of the big themes that we've been talking about in the book of Genesis is Satan hates the seed. <laughs> Satan's all about corruption of the seed. He hates the seed of the woman. Why? Because from that will come the skull crusher. Uh, the Messiah will destroy him. Okay, so he hates that. He also hates the seed of God's word. The parable of the sower and the seed is the key, right? And then Jesus gives you the keys to this parable very plainly. He says the seed is the word of God. And then what do we have? We have Satan trying to keep the seed from taking root and being fruitful. Satan's goal always is to corrupt the seed. He hates the seed. He hates things that can reproduce after their kind. This is why you see it. It's the spirit of this world, man. What are we doing right now? With CRISPR, with gene editing, I mean, we're wholesale humanity is messing with seed. Uh, that's just the spirit of this world who's, I mean, the God of this world, what's his name? It's Satan, right? Uh, Satan, Lucifer, the devil, he is the God, uh, according to Corinthians, he is the God of this world. Uh, it's, it's a corrupt kingdom. Uh, he corrupts the seed of the word of God. The very first question in the Bible is, yea, hath God said, <laughs> right? He's questioning, can you trust the word of God? It's, uh, it's amazing to watch how the confusion around the word of God has grown exponentially in the last hundred years, and it continues to do so. Brothers, sisters, do not mess with the seed, okay? What God sets in order, uh, let that take root and bear fruit where the word of God is concerned. Let it take root and bear fruit in your life. Um, you know, Onan, he's got a little spirit of antichrist in him. He wants to take the, the, the portion of the firstborn for himself. He doesn't want to fulfill God's will in his life. He wants to fulfill his own will. Don't miss these lessons. It's a serious thing to explain away the will, the word of God over your life and go away that's right in your own eyes. You can go away that's right in your own eyes and the end of that way is what? It's always death. It's always death of something. Okay, in this next section, okay, we're gonna look at 
uh, Judah's, the, the fruit of Judah's carnality. Uh, we're gonna title this Judah's sins, verses 11 through 26. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow at thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brethren did. Everybody that marries this gal dies. So he's afraid, honestly, he's afraid to give her his, his baby boy, right? Wait till he's grown. He's gonna try to come up with something. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up unto his sheep shears to Timnath. He and his friend Hira, the Adullamite. Okay, so let's bring up the map again. So from Adullam, he keeps going down. Notice, can you, can you see the top, uh, the topography that they're trying to illustrate there? You notice it's getting smoother and smoother. It's because it's getting lower and lower. Okay, so as he continues going down, oh, it cut off up there. Uh, the, the name that's cut off at the top, I thought it would, I thought it would show uh, up at the top. Uh, that's uh, Timnath. Okay, so it was there that, that Tamar finds out uh, that Judah had gone there. It was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear a sheep. And she, put on her, uh, and she put her widow's garments off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath. For she saw that, that Shelah was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. So what we're seeing here in verses 11 through 14 is that Judah does not keep his word. It's obvious she's not gonna be receiving the youngest son and this infuriates her. You know, when you don't keep your word, uh, you incense people, right? People feel righteous indignation and you will move them against you. They're gonna react to you. When you give your word, make sure you can keep it, right? Don't give your word in a flippant or casual way. Think before you commit. If you say you're gonna do something, you wanna follow through, you wanna do that, because otherwise you're engendering bitterness in the heart of that person against you. Okay, so what's, what's Tamar's mentality? Judah is stealing from me. So now she feels justified in stealing from him. Do you see that? Because that's what we're gonna see. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot because she'd covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way and said, go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. Uh, for he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? Uh, okay, that's fine, you're gonna pay with a, with a little goat, that's fine, I need collateral. <laughs> he said, what pledge shall I give thee? And she said, thy signet and thy bracelets and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it her and came in unto her and she conceived by him and she arose and went away and laid off her veil from her and put on the garments of her widowhood. Man, I mean, the player got played. That's what happened. See, in verses 14 through 19, Tamar, she takes matters into her own hands in order to be granted the rights of the Leverite custom. Uh, she pretends to be a religious prostitute and she tricks Judah into having 
illicit relations with her, right? He tricks her into, he thinks he's just a simple John and he's hired a good time is what he thinks. And so what happens? There's another deception that takes place here. This time it's by his Canaanite daughter-in-law. Um, so, so the, you know, one time and she conceives. Uh, so, you know, children are the heritage of the Lord. Uh, the fruit of the womb, I mean, that's, the Bible's very clear, that's just God's blessing. And so God saw her plight. She conceives, verse 20. Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend, the Adullamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. I need to get my, I need to get my signet, my bracelet, my staff back from that harlot, uh, from the temple prostitute. Uh, bro, can you just, can you take the payment and get that back for me? Oh yeah, sure, no problem. So he found her not. Verse 21, then he asked the men of that place saying, where is the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, there was no harlot in this place. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said that there was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, let her take it to her lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid and thou hast not found her. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah saying, Tamar thy daughter-in-law hath played the harlot. And also behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. Okay, so we're just gonna title this section because it's so ironic and so punny. Uh, we're gonna title this section, Burn! Got burned, bro! Okay, so the crime of adultery was punished in many places by burning. And that's one of the things that got enshrined into Leverite law in Leviticus chapter 21 and verse nine. Uh, the, here it is, the daughter of any priest, if she, pro, if she profane herself by playing the whore, we're not gonna have temple prostitutes in the temple, okay? She profaneth her father, she shall be burnt with fire. Judges 15, six. Then the Philistines said, who hath done this? And they answered Samson, the son-in-law of the Temanite, uh, because he hath taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. Uh, you don't do that. Jeremiah 29, 22. And of them shall be taken up a curse by all the captivity of Judah, which are in Babylon, saying, the Lord make thee like Zedekiah, and like Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Why? Because they have committed villainy in Israel and have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Even I know and am a witness, saith the Lord. So this is very common in this time. Here's someone that a lot of people care about and come to find out she's a whore. Um, they're gonna, she, she's running the risk of being burnt with fire. Okay, so there it is. Verse 25, when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, she sends to Judah saying, by the man whose these are am I with child? And she said, discern, I pray thee, whose are these, the signet and the bracelets and staff? And Judah acknowledged them, man, praise the Lord. He, 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 he's at least somewhat of a stand-up guy. Judah acknowledged them and said, she hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Shelah, my son. And he knew her again no more. He didn't end up taking Tamar to wife, but he did not take her life. You know, when she proved by the collateral that she received from him, okay, you're gonna pay for a you know, you're gonna pay for a, you're gonna pay for this party with a kid, with a goat, fine, give me the collateral. Okay, so she proves that he's actually the guilty one. She wins the right to be the mother of Judah's children. I mean, she does it through deception. Uh, this was a risky, thing that she does. She knows it could have meant her life. 
Uh, but she pulls it off, and as a result, she ends up in the messianic, the messianic line, in the, in, the, in, the, in the genealogy, right, in the tree of Jesus. She ends up in the messianic family tree. Look at Matthew chapter one, verse one. Matthew's gospel starts with the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Judas would be Judah. Judas begat Pharaoh and Zara of Tamar. There it is. Tamar's son becomes a progenitor, right? He's a forebearer of Jesus himself. But here's what you wanna get down, okay? This is what we just saw, and we use this saying a lot. What goes around comes around, right? I mean, it's interesting. Um, Judah lies and deceives her. He doesn't want Shelah to die. He doesn't, he doesn't want his third son to be killed as well. So he ends up deceiving her. He ends up dismissing her. Well, she, de- she dismisses him right back and deceives him. But it's interesting to me. You know, a lot of the promise fulfillment hinges on what, you know, this is, a, this is one of these stories that gets filed a lot of times under the heading of the, the bad girls of the Bible. Um, man, a lot of promise fulfillment hinges on these women. I mean, Tamar poses as a prostitute to preserve Judah's seed because God selects Judah for the line of the Messiah, and so his seed has to be preserved, and it has to be through Tamar. Judah won't come through, and so she does what a girl's gotta do, I guess. But Rahab is the prostitute who pretends the Israeli spies are not with her, and as a result, she becomes the grandmother of Boaz. Ruth is a Moabitess who converts to Judaism to bear Boaz a son who is the, I mean, he has a grandson called David. I mean, what do you do with that? So here it is, okay, verses 27 through 30. We're gonna look at this community. We're gonna title this Judah's Seed. And it came to pass in the time of her, Tamar's prevail, that behold, twins were in her her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread saying this first came out. These midwives, they knew what was up. Obviously she's got twins, she knew it. So the first hand that pops out, this is gonna be the firstborn, let's keep them separate. We'll take him out Then another baby comes out, we'll know which is the firstborn. Well, the hand goes away. <laughs> uh, she puts the she bound, she bound she, she, um, how's it put it? She bound upon his hand a scarlet thread saying, this came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that behold, his brother came out. And she said, how hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Perez. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his head and his name was called Zara. So God gives Tamar twins, and this is what continues Judah's line, okay? This is what continues Judah's line. But the picture here is this. We just keep seeing this in the book of Genesis. What is it? The elder serves the the younger. Uh, That's pictured here. History keeps repeating itself in Judah's line. Uh, In Genesis 27, 29, uh, we saw that with Jacob and Esau. Isaac tells Jacob, let the people serve thee. 
and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. The elder serves the younger. But here's the deal. Okay, you read a story like this. What was Onan's sin? Uh, I have heard all kinds of craziness taught on this passage. The sin was simply this. He refused, he absolutely refused to raise up a child in his brother's name. That was the sin. He wanted his brother's inheritance for himself. That's why God killed him. No other reason. Don't let anybody else warp that passage for you. He was in the place of God as God, doing what he wanted the way that he wanted to do it. But don't miss, okay, here is Tamar, who has been defrauded. It's not her fault that she was taken to be the wife of a wicked man. That's not her fault. It's not her fault that the guy who is supposed to give her a baby in his place, he's a wicked man. That's not her fault. I mean, these are Judah's kids, okay? It's not her fault that, that Judah lies to her and tell her, tells her he's gonna hook her up, make sure that she's got this baby that she's, she's counting on. That's not her fault, okay? It's not her fault that she's been lied to and deceived. Now, you, you know, you can pick it how she chose to respond. Could she not have just trusted the Lord? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of what could have happened that you could apply to a text like this. Here's what happened. And in all of this, if you don't, I mean, if you don't get anything else out of this morning, I pray you get this. This chapter absolutely shows the grace of God. Uh, If you don't get anything else out of this, man, talk about the grace of God. I mean, God in his grace raises up seed and Judah's line is preserved. Not because anybody, not because Judah deserves it. Not because he was worthy of it. See, here's the picture. Salvation is 100% of the Lord. In Romans 5 verse 20, the word of God says, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. The law in Galatians, uh, in Galatians it says the law is a schoolmaster to show us our depravity and our wickedness before God. It, it, it brings us to the conclusion that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It brings us to the conclusion that we cannot be righteous in our own ability before a righteous and holy God. We can't do it. We need, we need, we need rescued, right? We need God to intervene. We need, a, we need a kinsman redeemer is what we need. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. See, a lot of people, they look at their life and they think, I'm messing up so bad. (laughs) I've made so many mistakes. I've caused so many problems. There's no way God could ever love me, want me, or use me. And that, brothers and sisters, is a lie right out of the pit of hell. Nobody enjoys salvation because they're awesome, because of what they did, because how great or good looking, how talented, how winsome they are. And we're utterly corrupt before a righteous and holy God. There's none of us that deserve anything. But God loves us with such a great love in his mercy, in his love, in his grace. He redeems us from the curse of sin. He buys us back out of our sin condition and puts us in relationship with God as our father. He is our elder brother, our savior, our sin bearer, our Lord, our creator, He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We now have him in our life. His spirit, the spirit of Christ indwells us. Not because we deserve it or we earned it. We're saved by God's grace through faith in his gospel. It's not based on our works. Nobody gets to brag and say, you know, I deserved 
I deserved a relationship with God because, you know, that, that's Nimrod's mentality. That's, that's Gilgamesh's mentality. I mean, that's the idea of the deist, that you can produce the deeds that earn you a place in the pantheon of the gods. Go out there and be a hero. Go out there and be a big deal, and you'll burn in hell for eternity without Jesus Christ. Man, if you don't get anything else out of this passage, get the fact that God has grace on sinners. Yeah, you're a hot mess. Praise the Lord. You want Jesus in your life. Yeah, you have made a mess out of your life. Man, praise the Lord. God wants to take your life and redeem it for his glory. Would you just stop fighting him? Would you just give over and give in and just trust this God who can take, I mean, look what he did in Judah's family. They are so messed up. They're all doomed to be destroyed by God. And God in his mercy said, I'm gonna pull the line of the Messiah right through Judah. You know, it's like uh, you'll hear, you'll hear, uh, People talk about like Florida man or there'll be all these memes, you know, how messed up people are and just all the crazy stupid stuff or the wicked stuff or, or the, just the insane stuff that they do. And, and then in the memes, they're always doubling down. They're like, here, hold my beer. And they're gonna just like double down on crazy. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, here's Judah's line. Here's this company, this family that, that, is, that is on a, a road of, like the trajectory of their life is to be wiped out, wiped out by God Almighty, right? There's like no hope, no help for this backslidden mess of a family. And look at what God says. You see that family? See how messed up they are? Watch this. He didn't say hold my beer, okay? <laughs> what he said was, watch this. I can pull the skull crusher right out of Judah. And that's what he did. And he did it even though Tamar, Judah's deceitful, Tamar's deceitful, everybody's like a hot mess. Only the grace of God did that. That's it. Now imagine what God can do with you. Isaiah 64, six says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There's no hope for us. There's no help for us. We're all sinners. Would you just die to your pride? No, you're not a good person. No, you're not worthy that God owes you somehow. Get humble and cry out to God to save you, to have mercy on you. Luke chapter 18, the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful unto me a sinner. Here's Jesus' commentary on this publican versus the Pharisee that prayed next to him. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee, the one who was like, God, I'm so awesome. And Lord, most of all, I thank you that I'm not like this publican, you know? And so the publican was justified. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Romans 3.27 says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Will you not just believe on Jesus and trust him to take the mess of your life, the sin that separates you from God, and to remove it from you as far as the east is from the west? Will you not just trust that you're, you taking Christ as your sin bearer, believing on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's sufficient that when you cry out to God, in repentance of sin for his mercy, forgiveness, and grace over your life, that you'll have it, that he'll do it because he's the God of all grace. 
This chapter, uh, did I put Matthew Henry's note, his comment in your notes? Look at this, man, it's just beautiful. This chapter gives us an account of Judah and his family. And such an account it is that one would wonder that of all of Jacob's sons, our Lord should spring out of Judah. But God will show that his choice is of grace and not of merit, and that Christ came into the world to save sinners, even the chief, and is not ashamed upon their repentance to be allied with them, allied to them. Also that the worth and worthiness of Jesus Christ are personal of himself and not derived from his ancestors. Humbling himself to be made in the likeness of sinful flesh, he was pleased to descend from some that were infamous. I mean, man, the grace of God that he can come from, I mean, some of the the people in the line of Christ, liars, murderers, prostitutes. God loves you and he wants you in your family and the proof was the line that he came from. The proof is in the story of Judah. He loves you, he wants you, he wants to be your kinsman redeemer and he wants you with him, working with him in the family business, building his kingdom. The Apostle Paul described it this way in 1 Timothy chapter one, look at verse 12. He says, I thank God, right? I thank Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Who hath enabled me? For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was before unable, unfaithful, and I was destroying the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. There it is, man. Here's the Apostle Paul. Christ died to save sinners, of whom he says I am chief. And I don't think that's hyperbole. He was the guy who was trying to wipe out the infant church. What he did, a destroyer of the bride of Christ. It, it, it should have been unforgivable. I mean, talk about Ur being wicked. Paul should have been wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, the grace of the Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you have that in your life? Do you know that you have that in your life? This is what I love about the Bible, okay? If the Bible was written by men, okay? If men were the origin of scripture, a lot of these kind of stories would be glossed over. They'd be painted in their best light. When men write of themselves, when men tell their stories, uh, they, they gloss over. We were going um, through, through uh, the story of Paul's arrest at Jerusalem in the Bible school yesterday, and the chief captain uh, when he sends a letter, you know, there's, a, there's 40 men that binds themselves with a curse, with this oath, that they won't eat or drink until they kill Paul. And they collude with Ananias, the chief priest. You just, you know, you have the chief bring him back down, like you got some more questions, you need stuff clarified. Uh, you bring him, you know, on, on the way to the temple, we're gonna, 40 of us are gonna jump out and we're gonna murder Paul. And here is the chief priest, who has the, I mean, he's the guy who has the top job of making sure that Israel's following the word of God, the law of God. He don't care about that. This guy was a scumbag. Okay, so he agrees. Well, um, Paul's, as a little kid, right, Paul's nephew hears the plot 
and tells Paul. Paul sends him to the chief. The chief hears this kid, 470 troops, okay, take him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. So if 40 men weren't liars, they all died of thirst about 2,000 years ago. Pretty wild. Um, but he sends a letter with them, okay? He sends a letter with them. And in this letter, um, uh, uh, Lysias, I think it was his name, Lysias comes off like the hero. Man, these guys were gonna destroy, you know, I, I, I knew he was a Roman citizen. I mean, he was ready to beat the truth out of Paul before he found out he's a Roman citizen. I rescued him from these ruffians, you know, and, and uh, I sent him to you, and, and uh, what is he doing? He's glossing over his incompetency. He's glossing over uh, the mess that he helped contribute to. I mean, he's glossing over all of that. That's how men describe their own exploits, not God. God puts it all out there, the good, the bad, the ugly. He isn't a respecter of persons. He puts the truth out there. Why? Because these things, these people, these stories, they're written for our ensample. I don't care how messed up your life is. I don't care how big a failure you have been. Will you not just humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? Will you not just run to Jesus and receive of his grace? Because he wants to give it to you. He's not gonna force it on you, but he does wanna give it to you. Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name, and Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. God, I'm asking that that God, you'd have your way with every heart, with every life. Lord, help us to recognize that you are the kinsman redeemer and you're in the business of taking people who are in hopeless, helpless, completely lost, uh, I mean, just complete destruction, completely done. And uh, Lord, you can buy us out of that. You can redeem us out of that. Lord, in your great mercy and your great grace, Uh, you can restore us. The Lord Jesus is the kinsman redeemer of every nation, every tribe, every people. Lord, if there are any here today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, God, I'm praying, pour out your spirit and conviction. Confirm your love. Lord, let today be the day of salvation. For brothers and sisters who have been backsliding, sneaking away from accountability, from faithfulness to you, your word, your people and your work. Lord, again, would you, I mean the spirit is grieved and so Lord, would you allow that conviction to bring them to a place of repentance? God, you're worth being right with, you're worthy that we'd submit and surrender our lives to to you. Lord, so many end up so frustrated and depressed for so long because they're just fighting against you. They're fighting against what? Your love, your grace, (laughs) your forgiveness, your redemption. Lord, I, I pray that you'd make some space and that you'd help us to humble ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.